As the children are going out, if you will uh, take your Bibles, we'll, we're going to continue from last week. Uh, I'm calling this the, the these messages, and I almost hate to say series. Much as I've said I'm not a series preacher, I'm. Uh, it's actually a series that we're doing here, and 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 uh, it's just we can't cover it all in in 30 minutes or or whatever we found last week. And, uh, it's a lot to it, and it's something that I said last week. One of the most important messages, or or packages of message, I believe that I've ever preached. And so I wanted uh, to continue on with that today. I'm going to ask you again to put on your thinking caps, listen clearly, and understand the Word of God as we discuss the transformed believer. That's what we're calling this. Uh, series of messages. If you miss the first one, you can go on the website and, and hear the first one. Or if you, you just want to go back and say, did he really say that? Well, you can go back to the message and see if I really said that. So we're calling this the transformed believer. And last week we talked about we are justified by faith. Today we're going to talk about we're sanctified by faith. Uh, we discussed last week that, that uh, we are saved by grace through faith, not of works. We're saved by grace, by faith in Christ alone, by faith alone. Uh, we, we determine that. We are justified. That means that I stand righteous before God the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ. I am justified by faith, period. Uh, a lot of people want to argue that and they want to add something to that. And today the message, if you don't listen clearly, if you don't uh, really pay attention and soak this in, you will think that I am adding something to salvation, which I am not. I'm just going to give you God's word and I want to make it clear uh, and simple as I can for you, uh, not to confuse or to to the, the, the gospel or, or to frustrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to know you are saved by grace through faith, through Christ alone, by faith alone. That, just make sure you got that down. Once you understand that, then we need to understand the sanctification process, which is part of salvation. Uh, we're going to look at that today and, and turn your, like I said, turn your Bibles to John chapter 3. Uh, we'll continue on with the story between Nicodemus and Christ. And then we're going to go to John, uh, James chapter 2. So if you want to put your finger in your Bible in James 2 or your little marker or whatever. But we'll begin to talk in, in James chapter, or John chapter 3. Uh, Jesus, uh, as I said last week, as we discussed last week, he's talking to Nicodemus. And he's telling Nicodemus, you must be born again. Uh, something must take place that is uh, supernatural. And, and, and Nicodemus didn't understand, how can I be born again? How can I enter my mother's womb again? Nicodemus wasn't getting it. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Nicodemus was a teacher of Israel. And he didn't get these truths that Jesus was saying. And so in verse 8, Jesus comes up and, and he says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus uh, answered and said to him, How can these things be? 
See, Jesus is giving him illustration after illustration, trying to put it in simple terms, and Nicodemus is spiritually blind to the truth. Even though he's very astute, is that what you call it, in in Old Testament scriptures? He's a teacher. He's a Pharisee. But he doesn't get what the Old Testament is about. Uh, He doesn't get what Jesus is saying. And he gives them an example of the wind blowing. And uh, Jesus says in verse 10, he says, uh, Jesus answers and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel? In other words, you're the teacher and you don't even understand this? Uh, And do you not know these things? Most assuredly or truly, truly, I say to you, we speak what we know. We, We speak what we see, what we can see, what we can testify of, what we have seen. And you do not receive our witness. In other words, Jesus says, I'm putting it in black and white. I'm writing it on the wall and you are lost as a ball in high weeds. You're not getting it, Nicodemus. He says, he goes on to say, uh, if, if I have told you earthly things, if I have spelled it out, things you understand, I've wrote it in black and white, I've written it on the wall that you could understand, uh, and you do not believe, how will you do believe me if I tell you heavenly things? Father, as we study your word, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would lead us in all truth. Lord, our ways are not your ways, and Lord, you, you, uh, you are all wisdom. And Lord, in our feeble minds, sometimes, just like Nicodemus, we just get confused. Lord, Satan would distract us, and Satan would deceive us. Father, today I pray that you would just clear our hearts and our minds, open our hearts and our minds to receive your word. That the Holy Spirit would impress upon us the truth of your word, that we may know the truth. As you have plainly told it to us. Lord, just be with me in these next few minutes. Give me the words to say, to speak clearly and boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. He said, you hear the wind blow and you don't understand. What he's saying is the wind is blowing. Do you understand everything about it, Nicodemus? No. He says, just like being born again, you may not understand everything about it. But just like the wind, by faith, you hear it, you can't see it, but you know it blows, so by faith you believe there's wind. He's saying the same thing with this. By faith you must believe that you must be born again. And Jesus has laid it out there in black and white, and Nicodemus is still going... I think Nicodemus is a lot like me, hard-headed. Maybe Jesus would be like me, and he'd need to hit him right between the eyes with a two before. Hey, wake up. Get it, boy. Understand what I'm telling you. And this is the, the conversation they're having here. And he gives these illustrations. He says, uh, on down in verse 13, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. In other words, uh, you haven't been to heaven. No one in Israel has been to heaven. So you can't understand heavenly things. You can't grasp this, but I'm, I'm telling you earthly things to tell you about heavenly things and you're not getting it. He said, I am the only one. Uh, no one's been to heaven, but, but the son of man who is in heaven. 
So he gives him another illustration, and, and I'm going to move through this quickly because this is not the point of my message today. It's just to recap the conversation about being born again. And, and, uh, and I really just want to drive it home before we go to the next point. Uh, he goes on and talks about an illustration of Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness. We can read about this. Jot this down, Numbers 21, 4 through 9. We won't read it for right now. But what the problem was, there were serpents uh, that were biting the nation of it, the people of Israel, and they were dying from these bites. They had a problem. So God told Moses, build a brazen serpent and, to, and put him on a pole. And when you lift him up, if they'll look to him. It didn't say if you go out there and create a, get a bunch of slingshots and kill all the snakes. Or you come up with an antivenom, that'll work. Or if you do this, this, no, he says, build this brazen serpent, lift him up. And when the people look at this serpent, the, the bites won't bother them. They'll be healed. They won't die from the snake bites. Why did Jesus give that? Well, he says, uh, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Just like the serpent in the wilderness, all they had to do was look at him and believe. Jesus is saying, just like me, I'm going to be, I'll be hung on a cross. You look to the cross that I died for the sins of the world, that I rose again, that I'm in heaven making it. You look to that and believe and you will be saved just like they were in the well it was a perfect picture of Christ who would die on the cross for the sins of the world there was no works involved there was no uh, the only thing involved was looking at and believing and by faith trusting what God said he will do and you are saved. He said, whoever, and I want you to look how many times that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then we come to this verse 16, which we all know. For, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that, what? Whosoever. whosoever believes. Whosoever works. Whosoever believes and does good. Whoever believes and, and is really good Christian and goes to Sunday school all the time and church all the time and teaches Sunday school and ties like, no. Whoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life. For, uh, uh, for God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but, uh, but that the world through him might be what? Saved. Saved. We mean that's an important verse after we all know John 3:16 but you know John 3:17 Jesus didn't come to condemn you he came to save you I mean yes we look at the 10 commandments and yes it brings uh, it shows, and he goes on and tells that uh, down in these ver next few verses that talk about the condemnation of those who walk in darkness. They don't want the who they are revealed. Uh, let, let's let's read that. Uh, he says, "But those who look at me can be saved. Those who believe on me can be saved." Uh, verse eighteen: He who what <laughs> believes in him is not condemned. Pretty simple, isn't it? But he who does not believe is condemned already. You don't believe in me, you're already condemned. 
See, it's only through the belief of the Son of Jesus Christ that He died on the cross for our sins that we are saved. Uh, because He has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. For everyone that practices evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Do you know why a lot of people don't like coming to church? You know why a lot of people don't want to hear about God's Word? Because it exposes who they are. Their sinful nature. Their wretchedness before a holy God. And we don't like to hear that. Anybody really like to hear how bad you are? No, you absolutely don't. That's our nature. And those that don't understand the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus Christ, all they see is condemnation from God, and all they see is a a white-haired man sitting on a throne waiting to throw another lightning bolt. They've got a wrong conception about God. They've got a wrong uh, idea about who God is. It says that God so loved the world that He gave a way out. The Ten Commandments just said, You aren't holy. But I'm going to make a way where you can be. And if you'll believe in that, if you'll have faith in that, that what I said I will do, you will be saved. But verse 21 is what I really want us to focus on today. But he that, but he who does the truth comes to the light. Uh, what does that mean? Him who believes on Jesus Christ, understands who he is, Uh, understands His grace and His mercy and His love, they come to the light. What is the light? Jesus is the light of the world, right? What is this Bible about? Jesus. Is everybody okay? Uh, Who comes to the light? you're, You're not afraid to let it examine you. And to bring out what, what, what it might be wrong in your life because you understand that it's for your good. It is because he loves you. It is because he's trying to make something of you. So it comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen. And we're talking about deeds that, and, and, and that they have been done in God. Now what does all that mean? That's what I want to focus on today. Even Jesus, I think, hit on what we're talking about, the sanctification part. But if you've got your pencil and paper, you can write down some of these verses. The theme throughout the Gospel of John, uh, he even says in his closing chapters, uh, John 20, 31, but these, are the, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So the whole book of John is about believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Over and over through the New Testament, we see we're, we're saved by faith alone. I, I won't read every one of these, but jot them down. You can read them later. Romans 3.28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. You're justified by faith, not by works. Romans 5.1, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace through God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the, uh, works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. 
even we have believed in Christ Jesus and, and might be made justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. You'll never make it trying to figure it out on your own. It's only by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not by works. And in uh, uh, Galatians 3.11, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by what? Faith. The righteous live by faith. But I want you to look here. As Jesus talked about deeds, and he's talking about these deeds that are seen and, and that, that they are done through God, what is, what is he referring to? And I, I don't think we can just take one set of scriptures and, and say, okay, this is a doctrinal statement. So, what is he referring to? Does it say this anywhere else in scripture? Look at, he, uh, write down Hebrews 6, 9. But beloved, we are confident of better things. But beloved. Now, who's he talking to? Huh? Talking to believers. Talking to Christians. That whenever it says beloved, brethren, whatever, he's talking about believers. He said, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. Now, I'm trying to bring you in this closely. Listen, put on your listening ears. Think quickly. I'm going to have to talk quickly if I'm going to get this out today in less than an hour. All right? <laughs> Things that accompany salvation. What is he talking about? I believe this is sort of what Jesus is referring to. He started talking about being born again, that you must believe. And then he talks about these deeds that are taken. What is all that? And then he talks about things that accompany salvation. What he's talking about is once we have been saved, then something takes place within us. Okay, once we've been saved, once we've been justified before God, once we are a new creation, once we have been born again, once we have been reconciled to God, uh, all the, the things you want to say, once that takes place, then something begins to happen within the believer. That's why I'm titling this the transformation, transforming of the believer. As we surrender our body, our mind, and our will to the Lord, the Lord transforms us from within so that uh, we are not conformed to this world. In other words, once you're saved, and what does it mean to be saved? To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, I'll be saved. You understand he loves me. He died for me. I want to live for you. I want to live the rest of my days for you. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Okay? So if he's your Lord, you understand now that, that you're living for him. And I, I hope to make this real clear to you as we go on here. Uh, and as he does that, all the old things pass away, it says. Behold, all things become new. You begin to, to uh, uh, Romans 12, 1, it says uh, that it is our reasonable act of worship that we present our bodies a living sacrifice to the Lord. Once we understand what he's done for us, what he all he gave for us on the cross, that we present our body now as a living sacrifice to him. 
it goes on to say that, 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 that you have a renewing of the mind in, in Romans 12, 1 through 2. Uh, the, the transformed by the, that you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. You begin to think differently. You don't think like the world does. You, don't think, you aren't thinking selfish thoughts like you once were. You don't hold grudges. You don't go around unforgiving. You don't go around mercilessly. Well, that's a tongue twister. Uh, and he's talking about being, uh, being uh, that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. Write that down. For we all, with an unveiled face, in other words, once we understand what Christ has done for us on the cross, it's like the veil is dropped. We see clearly now. See, before you were saved, you might not could understand all this new birth stuff. You might not could understand the Holy Spirit thing. You might not could understand God's love and God's grace. But now that you've been saved, His Holy Spirit comes to indwell you. It's like taking the veil off. All things are becoming clearer now. And that's what he's talking about. Uh, unveiling the faith. Behold, uh, we look in a mirror of the glory of the Lord. And we're being transformed into the self, into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of God. So once you're saved, things become clear. The Holy Spirit's indwelling you, and He's doing a work in you that you're just like, wow, where'd that come from? Wow, I'm a different person. I'm thinking different now. What is that about? This is what he's talking about. The, the deeds that, that come, the things that accompany salvation. Uh, the theological term for that is sanctification. The day you're saved, do you understand everything about God? Some of you might if you're pretty smart, I guess. But most of the time, I'd say 99.9% .9 of us do not. It is a process by which we are sanctified. Not saved. Not have eternal life, but we are made in the image of his dear son. Through the working of the Holy Spirit, as we surrender our body and our mind and our will to him. Okay? So, we're talking about sanctification, which is the goal of the Heavenly Father. Of Romans 8, 14 talks about, for many that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Uh, one day I'd like to do a message on what happens the moment you get saved. I mean, I've already said the Holy Spirit, I mean, you are justified before God. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell you. You are adopted into the family of God. You become a child of God. And when you become a child, then guess what? What goes on with a child when, when they become in the family? Now they're rightful heirs. So we become the heirs of God. There's so many things that happen at the moment of salvation. And I got on the sidetrack there. But we are sons of God. This is the plan of God, the perfect will of God. Uh, Philippians 3.21, write that down. Uh, it says, who will transform. We're talking about Jesus who will transform our lowly bodies that it may be conformed to his glorious body. In other words, he's going to transform us to be like him through the Holy Spirit within us. Do you understand that? Is that clear? After salvation, after you've believed, this is what begins to take place. According to the things that work it, by which he, he is able even to subdue all things to himself. All right. So, 
once I'm saved, once I trust Jesus as my personal Savior, the Holy Spirit comes. Jesus promised that I'm going I'm to begin to transform you into the image of me. I want you to be just like me. That's what God wants, to be like his dear son. Those things begin to take, when you say, well, how do I know that? What is the proof that I know that's taking place? Now go to James chapter 2. I got seven minutes to go through James chapter 2. Be praying. This is to some people a very difficult passage of scripture. To some people is a very disturbing passage of scripture. To some people get very confused with this passage of scripture. But I'm going to try in the next few minutes to make it as crystal clear for you as possible. Note here, he is talking to believers. Or not. See, if you go up to the first few verses, what is he talking about? He's talking about showing favoritism in the church. He's talking about the deeds of the, the, if somebody come in with a fancy ring, you know what? They put them on the front row and they made the poor people sit in the back. They were doing a lot of crazy things in the church and James was dealing with this. And he's saying, what you're doing is not right. What you're doing is not Christian. What you're doing is not what God has called you to do. And if you're acting like this, you might want to check up. So, in James 2.14, we're going to pick up right there. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Wow, that seems like a total contradiction to everything I've said so far today, doesn't it? Are you confused yet? What he's actually saying, if you say you have faith, but there's nothing that shows it, is that kind of faith going to save you? Remember last week I said there's several different types, enduring faith and saving faith that they like to throw out these fancy terms. And, and I like to call them something a little bit different. The, the true faith, living faith, faith that that causes you to um, faith that saves and I don't want to confuse it I don't want to make it confusing or or make it hard Jesus says uh, unless you come to me as a little child so it's easy for a child to understand please don't get confused here but there were those who looked at Jesus and they believed that he was what a Messiah he was a good teacher he was a healer but he wasn't their savior. So there is a type of believing, but not a believing unto salvation. I believe there may be some, uh, as, as James brings it out here, there is a type of faith, but not unto salvation. He said, can that type of savior, if a brother or sister, and he gives an example, a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say to them, depart uh, in peace, be warmed and filled. But you not give them the things which they need for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself. If it does not have works. Is dead. What he's saying. What is the, the example he's given there? See these people were catering to the rich. And it'd be like somebody coming that door. And, and they don't. They got old rough clothes. Or maybe hardly any clothes on. You can tell they haven't eaten in weeks, dirty, and I just say, hey, I, I see that you're dirty and you need clothes and, and you probably need some food. 
Good luck with that. You know, just go, go on about your way. Have I done that person any good? Absolutely not. That is faith that he's talking about. Can that, that, can that kind of faith do anything? I surely believe that they need food and clothes. But that doesn't mean I give them food and clothes. I didn't put any action to what I said is what he's saying here. I, I fully believe it. I have full faith that they need food and clothes. But I hadn't done anything with that faith. And James is saying if you're going to have believing or living faith, then I would offer them food and clothes. That's putting action to my faith. That means that what I believe, I act upon. Uh, but what he's discussing here, there's three types of faith. And I've, it's an academic faith or an intellectual faith. I observe they don't have food and clothes. That's, my intellect tells me that. I'm smart enough to understand that. But I don't do nothing about it. I, I just, uh, it's a head knowledge. But my heart doesn't convict me to do anything about it. See, we look at Jesus Christ. Some look at Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, hey, I guess he died on the cross one time. Our, even our calendar says A.D. and B.C. Yeah, and everybody says that, so I must be saved. Ooh, good luck with that. Be careful with that. If that's all you've got going for you, that you just acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross, you might want to check up. These are, these are things that are very important for us to understand. He gives another example of faith. Uh, but some will say, you have faith and I have works. He says, show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. He's saying, I'll show you what I believe by what I do. And then he gives an illustration that you believe that there is one God. You do well. That's a good start, he says. But look who else does. Even the demons believe and tremble. You think Satan knows there's one God? Absolutely does. You think the demons know there's one God? Absolutely. Do you think they know that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world? They absolutely do. They know that without a shadow of a doubt. They know it so much that they stand in awe and tremble. They're shaking in their boots. They know it so much. Is Satan going to be in heaven with eternity with God? Nope. See, this is an emotional faith. This is a, a faith that would bring emotion. Uh, that, that you acknowledge the facts of the gospel, but there's no action to it. You don't accept him as your personal savior. You don't trust him as your Lord. And I'm afraid that's what a lot of people do. They come down an aisle sometime. They may fill out a little card. They may even say a little prayer. They may even shed a little tear. And then they walk back and walk out that door and you never see them again. That's an emotional faith. That's not a faith that saves. You said, Brother Kenny, that's, that's pretty tough. Let me give you this example. I married my wife. 
we come down much in a church like this one day and come down to the altar. We said our vows, the I do's, and the promise till death do us part, and all that stuff. I even got to kiss her right in front of everybody. And probably made her mama mad. She didn't like me kissing her. But I finally got a permission. But after the kiss, if I just said, shook her hand and said, I'm going back home. You go back and live with mama. I'll see you at Christmas and Easter. That's not much of a marriage, is it? I know I'm being a little bit tough. But I think people need to understand this today. Satan is a great deceiver. And if he can make you think you walked down this aisle and filled out a little card and maybe shed a little tear or said a little prayer, but there is nothing in your life that points that you love Jesus with all your heart, that you want to live for him. You don't care about being with the saints of God. You don't care about studying his word. You don't have a new, a new way of thinking. You still hate everybody. You can't forgive anyone. You may be in trouble, eternal trouble, and I am trying to help you see the light. Please see the light. Because I believe this happens all the time. Some preacher will stand up there and put you on some guilt trip and work you up into an emotional frenzy and you come down and say a little prayer, fill out a card and fly out the door and never seen again. <clears throat> that's sad. I believe that's deceit of Satan to make you think you're okay. I got fire insurance. I'll see you at Easter, Lord. I'll see you at Christmas. That's not very good saving faith, is it? That's not faith to live by. That's an emotional faith. And then he gives us an example of faith that saves. Faith that truly believes who God said he is, who Jesus said he is, who believes in what Jesus did and what he did for them. It's a personal thing. And once you understand that, then everything changes. Quickly, I'll run through this. He gives an illustration of Abraham, that he was justified by works. Wow, James, you're just confusing us more. When he offered Isaac on the altar, hmm, do you see that the faith was working together with works and the, and the works faith was made perfect and the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and was accounted him for righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see, that, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Wow. I wish I had more time because James is really pouring it on here. What is he saying there? Oh, boy, Brother Kenny, everything you said wrong. He just said it right there in God's Word. You're justified by works and not just by faith. That sort of throws out everything I said for the last two weeks, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. If you know Abraham, when did God count? When was he accounted for righteousness? At what point did God consider Abraham righteous? Romans 4 is a good hint for you. You can write that down look it up later. 
when God promised him a seed. And that night when he looked up at the stars, he believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Not when he offered Isaac. That's not when Abraham was saved. When he offered Isaac was a fruit of his righteousness that he experienced under the stars. You understand that? He offered Isaac because he believed God under the stars. And he daily trusted. Now, remember when he told him and Sarah that they were going to have a baby? Did he believe God then? Not at first. He sort of laughed. That doesn't mean you won't ever have a wavering time in your Christian life. But the fact that over the course of your life, you ought to be able to look back and say, I believe God. I trust him by faith alone. I want to live my life for him. Yes, I may fall. Yes, I may falter. But over all, my life has been one that wants the will of God in my life. And I want to please him. That's what Abraham was displaying. His faith caused him to go up the mountain with Isaac. He believed what God said. He wasn't justified then. He was justified under the stars years before. Is that clear to everybody? Have I got everybody confused? That's when he was justified. That's what James is talking about. Uh, He was justified before God and declared righteous before men. Do you see that, that Abraham, were you there? Was I there when... God gave him the promise under the stars? Nope. But the Bible says that's when he was counted righteous. That's when he was saved. And then we read the story about how he offered his son. That is a fruit. That is a work caused by my belief. And so now he's justified before men by his actions. You can say you have faith all day, he's saying, but if your faith does not produce works that shows other men, that shows other people that you're a Christian, it's dead faith, he says. Is that making it clear? Is that helping you understand that better? I got to move on. So this is living faith. And when I say living, I like to give it eternally because I live by faith daily. I'm sanctified by faith as I live my life before him. Uh, Being born again, you're you're open to a new way, a, a new and living way. You die to yourself and you want to live for God, a life that produces fruit, a life that produces good works. Uh. So, so what James is doing here is a perfect relationship between your saving faith and works. Uh, someone once said about Abraham, uh, Abraham was not saved by faith plus works, but he was saved by a faith that works. You see what I'm saying? If I married Robin, shook her hand, said I'm going home, there's not much work there, is there? No, I committed to live with her. And that's a lot of work sometimes, trust me. She'd say the same about me. Well, I'm in this for the long haul, Robin. I'm going to work it out no matter what. I'm going to prove to you every day of my life, I love you. That's faith that works. 
That's, a, that's where we are. Uh, I'm going to show you, Lord, that I love you. I'm going to, well, wait a minute now. Be careful with that. I've heard that. Can we actually do that? Let's keep going. One more example he gives. Look at this. A transforming faith. He talks about Rahab the harlot was justified by works when she received the messengers and put them uh, out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Do you remember Rahab when Israel was going into Jericho or into the promised land? The first city they come to is Jericho. And Joshua sent spies. The spies went in and saw this harlot, Rahab. And she hid them. And she let them down the wall. And she held out the scarlet cord out her window. Because while the spies were there, they, she already knew about God. All of Jericho already knew. And they were in fear of what God was going to do. And Rahab believed what the spies said, believed in the God of Israel, and she put that faith to action. How did she do it? She let the spies down. She brought her whole family into her house. She put the scarlet uh, uh, cloth out her window, which is a picture of the blood. When Jericho, all the walls fell, guess whose house didn't? Rahab's. She was saved by faith that works. She produced something. And, 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 and because of that faith that she had and believed in, in God and, and she acted upon it, we read in Matthew 1.5 where God transformed her into something else. You know, Rahab the harlot became, she married into Israel, some, an Israelite. And do you know Matthew 5.1 tells us that Rahab was of the lineage of Jesus Christ? What a beautiful picture. Jesus didn't die for the Jews. He died for the Gentiles too. He became my kinsman redeemer, not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. That's me and you. But look at what God transformed her into. God did it. She didn't do it. As she trusted God, God worked in her life and transformed her. Philippians, you just write it down. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, Paul was talking to the people of Philippi, don't obey just in my presence, but, but in my absence. He says, work out your salvation. This is the sanctification. Work through this as you surrender your mind, your body, and your will to God. For it is God who works in you. You get that? God works in you to do his will and to do his good pleasure. Jesus said, let your light shine before men. What is that light? The gospel of Jesus, the light of the world that lives within me. Let it shine before men that they may see your good works. They may see uh, it's an outward expression of what's on the inside is your good works. That's what James is talking about. And I got to close, but just quickly, and you write these down, 2 Peter 1, 4. 
talks about once I'm saved, but what is good works? What are the good works that we keep talking about? Uh, I want, there are many, but these, for example, to be partakers of His divine nature. Look up the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, all those fruits of the Spirit, that becomes your divine nature. That's who you become. You learn to forgive. You learn to not hold grudges. You learn to live peaceably with all men. You learn to be humble and meek and to give. You're transforming into the image of His Son. So one, you're partakers of His divine nature. 1 Peter 2, 2 through 3 Uh, That nature determines an appetite and explains the appetite for the things of God. I believe a true believer wants to know God more, wants to understand Him more, shows an interest in who He is and loving Him more. And just like I would with Robin, I want to be with her every minute. I want to know everything about her. I want to love everything about her. I think we should have an appetite for God. According to 1 Peter 2, 2 through 3. Uh, it, uh, 2 Peter 2, 20 through 22, uh, we have no desire to go back to the way we were. Yes, we may fall short. Yes, we may slip and fall. But ultimately over our life, we don't want to live like that anymore. Heard time and time again of alcoholic get saved and never touch another drop. That's transforming of the Holy Spirit within them. I don't want to live like that anymore. And fifth, the transformed believer feeds on the Word of God and grows to spiritual maturity. Hebrews 5, 1 through 14. And what he's talking about then, not Paul, but the, the writer of Hebrews says, you guys are still on the bottle drinking milk and you ought to be eating a steak. You ought to be growing into maturity. I'd much rather eat a steak than they drink on a bottle. But that's characteristic of a believer, is wanting to mature, wanting to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I believe we probably have a lot of church members that fit uh, what Paul talked about when he wrote the letter to Titus, that they profess to know God, but by their works deny Him. He tells them in Titus 3a to maintain good works. See, the, the believer must grow in the knowledge of God. To know God personally, or to know God, is salvation. Jesus said, and this is eternal life that you may know you. He's praying here, talking to the Father. This is eternal life that they may know you, Father, the only true God and Jesus whom you have sent. That's salvation. To know Him increasingly is sanctification. And that's Philippians 3.10. You can reference that. So we are sanctified by faith. Let me put it this way. We are justified before God. You say, I have been saved. Sanctified is the rest of your life. I am being saved. I have been saved. I'm being saved. And then glorified is I will be saved. One day in eternity, we'll be free from sin. We won't fall anymore. We won't have, that's glorification. And we're going to talk about glorification maybe next week. I, I'm praying about that, and I was going to go right into glorification. 
But God may be steering me another direction. With this sanctification, it might be important for us to understand. Brother Kenny, you might say, well, Brother Kenny, you act like I should never mess up again. No, I'm not saying that either. Paul struggled in Romans chapter 7. Think about Lot. Lot was a righteous man in the eyes of God. Did he live like it? Not much. He probably did the rest of his life after Sodom and Gomorrah. God got his attention. But see, next week we may, Lord willing, either glorification or we may talk about my old nature that conflicts with my new nature. To help you understand more of sanctification process. That doesn't mean you're automatically sinless. That doesn't mean you'll automatically never fail. But over the course of your life, your will is that I serve him because he gave so much for me. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for the time that we've had together. Lord, I pray that you would take these words that I've stumbled over or whatever. Lord, please don't let me confuse anyone. Lord, just by the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would direct my words and that you would bring the truth out to your people, that we would live for you, that we'd understand what you did for us on the cross and what you're doing for us in our daily lives. Lord, just help us to surrender our body and our mind and our will to your Lordship as we serve you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.